so basically what we're talking about here is ignorance real ignorance the ignorance that is uh the beginning of paticca samapada and ignorance surprisingly enough is the highest the last fetter isn't that interesting we start off ignorant as children wind mm-hmm. up as buddhas still ignorant except that the distinction is is that along the way um and in the beginning when we don't know when things are uh, confused we're full of doubt that leads to worry and perhaps even the feeling of insecurity and danger mm-hmm. so that's a point in time when there's got to be something that's called enough and when we get enough that means that we don't need any more it's almost like uh, and this is a really big one for me from from, from my youth is walking into the hotel that's got a huge smorgasbord of all kinds of things to eat and either somebody else pays for it or I'll pay for it it's not much money you know 10 12 dollars whatever it is nowadays maybe back then it was 2 or 3 dollars but the point of it is is that now I paid my way in here can I eat all of this what is enough how you know how many trips back to the spogus board to try to do it in can i do five plate pulls 10 plate pulls before i've had enough i've always got to have enough and there's still more food to eat okay we now now begin to understand that that's true with knowledge also mm-hmm. and that any of us are just hunger and thirst after knowledge and the more we get the more we want and we don't have that understanding of when is enough enough because i'm not going to know everything many yeah. examples of that but one of them that's my favorite is is that the dean has a party and all of the uh, 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 professors and heads of the departments from all over the university come to his party all of them at this university are heads in their field they're very intelligent and very educated in you know one's a physicist another one's a mathematician another one's a psychologist another one is a nursing specialist all these kind of things and then each one of us walk in there and be jealous of every one of those guys as if we want there's 50 people in that room each one of them is full of knowledge and yet none of them know what the other 49 know they're all mostly ignorant <laughs> because even though there's 50 professors and you've got one thing done you've got 49 people here that are better at their thing than you are by a mile. Yeah, you can't be Wait a minute. How can we handle the fact that there is that there's something about it that we would call vast. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that strikes. One example was uh this was years ago when the um <clears throat> the BART uh the SkyTrain was new. and i'm riding on this sky train and i began in a very short period of time to get a load of the vastness of bangkok it's like wow i could not build this thing 
Mm-hmm. In fact, no one can. This thing that I'm looking at took two or three hundred years with literally hundreds of thousand people, each one doing their own thing. But look at what we've got. Okay, so we can either think of it as a city like Bangkok, or we can think of a complete understanding of of knowledge itself as a base. Mm-hmm. Like at a university, there are so many people, and not one of them will know all of what all of them know. We cannot do that. We have to accept that we're going to be vastly ignorant. The question is, can we get like... Uh, let's talk about it down at percentages in the sense that each one of them at best will get about 1% of the human knowledge. One person can get about 1%, but they don't need 1%. Maybe they only need a half a percent and that's enough to where other people can have 2% of the entire world's knowledge and they still don't have enough. Well, to what, to what uh, purpose though? Like, why do they need even? We're driven by instincts to do that. That's what makes us human. What makes the human brain human and different from the dogs is the dogs are not as curious as humans are. But I have to say, when I started talking to you, what impressed me is your knowledge, how I'm one of the most ignorant people that you will meet. Unfortunately, I'm one of the few people who actually understand the extent of my ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) But but for me, the reason, not only because you you did the magic to make me feel better, but also the the amount of knowledge that you shared was was just overwhelming and very impressive. To me, and maybe I was judging, I guess. Well, and all I'm doing is just looking for examples to be able to teach just a very few things. And so I pick this and I pick that and whatever like that. I do a lot of cherry picking, low hanging fruit, that kind of stuff. Okay. And yes, I've got quite a background because you pick up a background in 75 years, you pick up a lot. However, the question is, is all of that useful? Is it enough? There's actually a a sutta, uh, and the name of the sutta is Simba. And I really, really, um, uh, let us say, enjoy with that, because that kind of tree is a cousin of the ficus. It's, It's actually a ficus. But it's not uh, the Buddha ficus, nor ficus benjamana, but it is a ficus tree. And I've got one right here. I'm within, I can touch it almost. If I stand up, I can touch it. And there's a sutta by the name of ficus. I um, I mean, not ficus, but uh, Simba. But in fact, I, I asked some of the Thai people, and one knew and the other one didn't. But when it came but a sim, and I knew exactly, yes, this is the tree. And so this tree has yellow leaves. They do turn yellow and they do fall off. And that there was a time when the Buddha was going through a Simba forest, an entire forest. You can see how golden yellow it must have been absolutely beautiful, like the fall scenes in Michigan or something. And so 
uh, here he is walking in the forest and he picks up a handful of these Simba leaves and he says to the monks around him, which is greater, O monks, the number of leaves that I have in my hand or the number of leaves spread around the forest here? And they said, well, of course, the forest is vast and you only got, I mean, you've got a handful. May take us a few minutes to count them up, but it's still only a handful. Mm -hmm. And this is where the symbology from the Buddha's, uh, uh, this Simba Sutta, is we get the idea of just a handful of leaves. But the Buddha says that all I teach is just a handful of things. It's not vast. The amount of knowledge that can be accumulated is vast. Mm-hmm. But what we teach here is enough. That's where we're coming from. The, what would be there that would be enough? But and you pl- see, we spend our lives when we're children thinking that we need more and more and more and more knowledge, and we're not very discriminating about what knowledge we pick up. Yeah. But we But we go on and on and on wanting to know more and more and more rather than inspecting and investigating this thing called doubt and curiosity that we carry within us, or even that concept of emptiness that we had started to talk about, where the God is gone, what's left. (laughs) Let's talk about this concept of emptiness. (laughs) I've never heard about it. Oh, the Christians are really big time on that. They've got a God-sized hole inside. And only a God can fill that hole of emptiness, okay? That hole inside that they're referring to, or the emptiness that we're talking about here, is basically the longing for completion. Many people look for that uh, longing of completion within a partner. Some look for the completion in a God or in their religion. Other people will try to find a way to fill that hole with a fancy automobile. I know I've done that one too. After the motorcycle didn't fill the hole, I tried to stuff a Mercedes in or two in. <laughs> and so there's all kinds of, of analogies about that we feel kind of empty inside. And sometimes we don't even know that that's what's going on with all this grasping and clinging and wanting is to fulfill that longing inside that we're not complete, we're not whole, we're missing something. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the possibilities for that is that when we are babies, we are nurtured by whoever is giving us care all the way through diapers. But as soon as we're ready for potty training, now we're on the line. And from potty training into school, We've got to perform and we begin to and feel that we are missing something here. And what we're missing is the nurturing that we got as an infant. Mm -hmm. That we were absolutely okay, 100 percent. That in fact, when the family sees the baby's first little turd or big ones, generally, they're very happy about it. But if the 16 year old kid goes and puts one of those things on the living room carpet, there's going to be hell to pay, you see. Mm-hmm. But when we're babies, we can get away with everything because everything is okay. Everything is fine. So 
we grow up longing for that, but we forget what it was that we were longing for, and so we will grab anything to shove into that hole, mm-hmm. that hole that's that's being unnurtured. So me coming to a conclusion that there is no God is making kind me... of he ripped a big hole in there, didn't it? <laughs> and now I'm longing for decision making, for taking charge, for taking for for. Well, what? what I don't know for sure. That's something to be investigated. But we already have pinned that it is uh, strong enough for you to go leave Russia and go to the United States to try to find whatever it is that you're looking for. You're not quite sure it is, but why are you going? It's because you have a feeling of missing something. Wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I never looked at that this way. Yeah, I guess missing something of... Yeah, if I stay here, I know what's going to happen here, and I don't know what's there. Might as well just go there, figure it find it out well you don't know what's going to happen in russia no you just don't know but within my proximity what i where i am i already can predict where this is going to be where i'm going to be how this is going to play out Mm -hmm. well i don't know about the situation but you look like you're living in a fairly nice house you may or may not plan on uh getting kicked out of it i'm not sure about any of that yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that could be it. But when you do get kicked out, then you can say, yeah, now I have a hole inside. It's the house that I'm missing, a place to live, because uh-huh. that you actually need. Uh-huh. Uh, but let's go back. I've got a couple of things to say okay. about that God okay. that we have had. Martin Luther King. Uh-huh had a phrase that was very famous. He said, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. Now, this was back during the 60s, during the, uh, um, basically, the signing of the um, uh, the voting rights that was passed back then. Uh-huh. Right. In 2013, that was all turned over by the federal uh, or the Supreme Court. But uh, he had a feeling of freedom. Mm-hmm. But what has happened to that phrase has been that it's been changed into free at last, free at last. There is no God Almighty. Free at last. Because the real freedom is from the oppression of authority, and he was thanking God for the pre- for the freedom from the oppression of the authority of the U.S. government, to where, in fact, the real freedom is by giving up all authorities' oppressions that are embodied or thought of or conceptualized as God. Because if, God, if the police don't get you, God will. Okay, God's the backup for all bad things that happen. He he is blamed on everything. They even have it in contracts, like uh, insurance contracts, like acts of God. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are not acts of God. Like force majeure circumstances, acts of God? Yeah. Ten? 
they actually have that in American documentation some places, not just in God we trust, but they talk about some things are insured, like flood insurance is an act of God, a flood. God did it. Right. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the way. But when we look at the world that way, that means that we've absolutely got no control over how we feel, because how we feel God did it. God did this tsunami, and I'm supposed to feel bad when God sends a tsunami. Or God sends a thunderstorm, and you got to feel bad because God's trying to punish us or something. The Christians are really big on that. Oh, we had this um, hurricane in Florida because of the gay people or whatever. <laughs> Always blaming it on God, you see. Okay. Oh, my God. And <laughs> in in that regard, the worst of it is, is that even global warming is up to God. If God wants to global warm, let God global warm. Yeah. And that takes all of our responsibility, both from an, as an individual, as well as the whole society. Just blame it on God, and then we don't have to do anything, either personally or um, as a group. But when we come to the point of freedom, at last, there is no God Almighty. That's the real freedom. And what that means is, is that now we have freedom to respond rather than merely reacting. It really is freedom that now we can actually wake up because you can see that, in fact, the daydream or uh, the delusion that we were in was that there was some God managing things. And if God's doing it, I don't have to. It's funny, but I didn't really was uh, for uh, formally. I didn't practice any of it, but it was in the back of the mind that I should like relax. Yeah. And... It's in the back of the mind. Exactly. That's how far back it goes. You trusted in God so much that you could just forget all about him because he was going to do his thing. And now you're waking up to the fact that, wait a minute, there is no thing like that there. It's so you're using that almost as a security blanket. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was just about to say. That I, it's easier to trust there is something than trust yourself in terms of uh, acting upon something, finding a job, or uh, just do it, just taking some steps. Yeah, because we started out as children full of doubt. We weren't sure. We wanted a mommy to guide us. Unfortunately, we have to grow up, and most people don't. We stay dependent upon a mommy, and that God is nothing but a symbolic mommy. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and we don't want to grow up. We want to remain victims. We want, when we need help, we want to yell for help, and help comes. And you're beginning to understand that when you need help and you yell help, ain't nothing coming but you. You're the only one that can hear you hearing and saying help, and it's time that you do the helping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So there's a... And we don't like that a bit. We don't like that at all. We're supposed to have a mommy come help us. We're supposed to have a God or daddy, something. We need but some help here, folks. Do us a favor. <laughs> Nobody coming. <laughs>
So with that, you have an agency. Uh, is that the confidence that you were talking about? The confidence in whatever's happening is. Yeah, whatever's happening, have the confidence that you're okay. You can handle this. You don't need a mommy to come get you out of whatever's happening. You can do it yourself. But that's almost easier because. It actually is. That's one of the secrets. That's one of the things that a lot of people say, you know, gosh, this stuff is so dead easy. And I thought it was hard all along. Yeah, because there is no extra something playing within your life now. Right. It's the constant wanting help, thinking we need help, asking for help, not getting it being disappointed and starting that process all over again now you're waking up to there's no god to help you there is no mommy there is only your own mind that nobody can help you fix your own mind but your own mind now a piano teacher can listen to the piano student can this and uh correct his piano playing but she cannot go home with him when he goes home to practice, he's got to do that by himself. Mm -hmm. This is where we're coming from, is, is that we have been reacting or acting in the same way over and over and over again, expecting new results. I've heard that as a definition of insanity. That's why the whole world's crazy. It's because everybody in the world keeps doing the same thing over and over again, expecting new results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of what Bhikkhu Buddhadasa said, look at what you're doing. If at first you don't succeed, look at what you're doing. Okay, so this is what you're beginning to do now. You're beginning to wake up and recognize that ain't nobody going to help you, but you still haven't come quite yet to the point of recognizing that, but you can. That in fact, there are three levels of doubt and that all three of them need to be eradicated to be fully on the path of the Buddha. That part of the path of the Buddha is, is that we are so confident that we are completely free from doubt. We've got enough now that we know. We don't know everything. There's so much Dhamma. In fact, anytime that somebody makes a statement about the Buddha said this or the Buddha said that, and I, and I know for sure it doesn't fit in, the only question or the only thing I'll say is, okay, give me a reference. I want to see where that came from. And almost always, nobody can give me a reference because they just, you know, it's just hearsay. They don't know where they got it from. All right. So that's part of the eradication of the doubt is, is that when you know, when you remember something, you not just remember what you remember, but you remember the source. You know where this came from. You know whether you made it up or whether you got it from a book, and if so, which book, or if you heard it from someone, who did you hear it from? This is sourcing the material. You know, in scientific papers, that's required. You got to source your material. And yeah. yet many of us go around living our whole lives, making stuff up and thinking that it's true, and we don't even have a source for it. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. So what is the flow then? What's the flow we're, we're talking? Is there such a thing as a flow? The flow? No, we're not talking about right now a flow. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Okay. 
right now what we're talking about is doubt. Because doubt does interrupt the flow. Oh, there is a flow. <laughs> oh my God, you're blowing up my mind right now. Okay, when you, when you are free from doubt completely, then you can flow. That in fact, this thing you're calling flow uh, is understood in martial arts mm -hmm. um, of getting in the flow means that now you are completely 100% in the here now and you're in the here now with skills, the skills developed as a martial artist. Okay. And yeah. one of them is in the ring fighting, thinking about his training, thinking about his teacher, thinking about his mother, and the other one is right here in this present moment with all of his skills. Who's going to win that contest? The one who is here now watching what's going on or the one who's worried about something he's in doubt about, okay? So when we're completely free from doubt, uh -huh. then all those hindrances that doubt brings up, we can be free from and then we can flow, we can shine. But when there is doubt, that's a hindrance. How do I get rid of doubt? Huh? How do I get rid of doubt? Well, let's look at these three kinds of doubt so that you can begin to understand what it is necessary. Okay. In fact, we have been talking about the first kind of doubt quite a bit already. And that is the doubt of are you up to the task of cleaning out your own mind? But that's really the second question. The first question is, who can I get to fix my wagon? Who can I get to fix my broken life? Can I get a God to do it? Yeah, I got a God, so maybe he'll fix it someday. All right. <laughs> this is the victim's position. The victim is going around looking for help. Who can I get to clean up my mess? Okay, imagine that you just walked into the house and there's stuff all over the floor. We don't know where it came from, but we know that the house is a mess. What's the first question that we ask? Well, what's the first thought? Is who made this mess? Why? Because we want to get them clean it up so we don't have to. So that's the first level of doubt is who can we get to clean up this mess? And when we recognize ain't nobody going to clean up this mess but me, that's the eradication of that first doubt. Who can I get to fix me? And look at, I mean, religions are built upon that. That's one of the hallmarks of Christianity is, is that you're broken with original sin and you can't fix yourself. You've got to have a Jesus, maybe a plastic Jesus on your dashboard or something. But you need something. And if you contribute to the church, maybe you'll get it. Maybe you'll die and then get it. But, you know, just hang out there because help is coming. It's on its way. Right. And so we take solace in the help coming. And when now you're beginning to recognize, hey, man, that help is not coming. <laughs> Ain't no God there. So you're actually dealing with that first layer of doubt. <laughs> But it's liberating to, to see it. It's like, it is liberating when you think of it. Hey, I don't have to go looking for help anymore because I know I'm not going to get it out there. I've got to find it myself. That becomes the second level of doubt. 
The second level of doubt is, are you up to the task? Can you do this or not? This is where Anapanasati really kicks in. That in fact, that first doubt uh, had to do with the second noble truth, the cause of suffering. I know what the cause of suffering is. It's her fault. <laughs> no, it's how they interpret. Oh, it's my lens through which I'm looking. Mm -hmm. But when we recognize that we create all of our own misery, yeah. only then does it dawn on us that it's up to us then to clean up our misery. It's up to us to fix that mess. So the first question now becomes, am I up to the task? And the answer to that is, well, I don't know about the whole four, but I can at least pick up this one book and put it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And now that I proved to myself that I can pick up one book and put it on the shelf, maybe I can pick up another item and put it. Maybe I can turn up the table in the correct order so that I can put some of the stuff back on the table one thing at a time. And pretty soon, about two thirds into the task, you take a look around and says, things are looking pretty good right now. <laughs> okay, because we get the opinion over time, slowly, slowly, by successfully picking up something and putting it in its place, we begin to develop uh, what the Pali word is shraddha, which means confidence that you can, in fact, clean up your mess Mm -hmm. Not all at once, but at least this item. Mm -hmm. At least this item that's right in front of us, this particular thought, mm -hmm. this particular feeling right now of, oh, no, I feel empty inside right now. Instead of thinking about what can I do on the outside? I mean, you're trying to fill that hole inside with a Florida or, or in Atlanta or uh, Nashville. I mean, look at the side of the hole that you think you've got when you're trying to put a whole city in it. But in fact, no, it's just right now, just a little feeling of unsettledness. But the answer to that is, I can handle that unsettledness. I can take a deep breath and I'll be okay. Because I felt unsettled when I missed God. Now that I recognize, I don't need God. I'm okay. Freedom at last. I can sit here and feel okay right now and not have to deal with that big hole, gaping hole inside. It's just something that I haven't been used to. Okay. Many people will call it disappointment. A lot of people, in fact, do call it disappointed. They're, they're completely disappointed with their church and they'll leave the church, but they're not quite ready to let go of God because that's a too big of a disappointment. Mm -hmm. But it's also the freedom to get over that first hurdle. Because you can fix your own problem, but that's the second question. The first question, in fact, is predicated upon the second question, which is, no, I can't do it myself. I have to have some help outside. But now that you've come through that first one back to the second one, you recognize ain't nobody going to help me no matter how bad I want it. Now the question is, can I help myself? Mm -hmm. The answer is, of course you can, because you've already been doing that. You've already, in fact, you got to the point of recognizing that there was no God because you were already beginning to 
help yourself. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. already beginning to yeah. change the way you thought. And so we continue to do that. You continue having success, one success after another. Back to the analogy, picking up one book off the floor and put it on the shelf. And then look at that. My, what a good job I did of putting that book on the shelf. And so we congratulate ourselves. Then they'll say, you know, I bet I can pick up another book. Then we pick that book up and then we put it on the shelf. And then we say, my, what a good girl I am. I can pick up that book. I bet I can pick up another one and another one and another one. And so this is where the confidence grows. And pretty soon you get the idea that, hey, I can't pick up books. I don't have to go get a God to pick these books up. I don't know how they got on the floor, but God's not going to pick them up, but I can. Mm-hmm. So that's how we practice over and over and over again is to throw that unwholesome thought out and put a wholesome thought in. You could do that. The mind is that pliable. I know a lot of people think that it's difficult, but one of the things that you had mentioned before was that you did have success and then you couldn't recreate it because you wanted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Instead Mm -hmm. of just recognizing that the wanting that sensation or that place is the dukkha, wanting it. Or another one is that you're critical rather than nurturing Mm -hmm. because even though that that then, last time, you felt it, let us say, a 7 out of 10, Mm -hmm. now you're only at a 5 out of 10, and that ain't good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, five is nice. But in fact, what happened in the first time is, is that five was nice. And as it got nicer, it got up to a seven. And now you're starting at a five again, but it's not a seven now. So it's no good. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so you're comparing and comparing. That's the dream world. The dream world is comparing the reality of the situation. And the reality of the situation is you felt a five. Isn't that marvelous? You don't have to feel a seven. You can be satisfied with a five. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that satisfaction then is part of the feeling of success. That you can, in fact, feel good. Whole inside or not is not the point. But in fact, maybe part of the teaching of the Buddha is to really get familiar with that hole because that hole is, in fact, a space that used to be filled with all kinds of stuff that wasn't helpful. Now we've got some space inside, vast, in fact, that we create our own cathedral inside. All right. Also, another thing that I did when I actually came to the conclusion of moving is that I congratulated myself and I bought ice cream. Is that filling the void again? <laughs> is, that, um, is that something? Is that <laughs> filling the space? No, an ice cream from time to time. That's not, not a problem. Having an ice cream and then telling yourself, oh, I bet you're having this ice cream because you messed up somehow or another. And you're just trying to reward yourself because you feel bad. There's that's critical parent. Yeah, no, no, it was definitely instead of just if you're going to have an ice cream, really enjoy it. 
get right into the taste of it. Be really, really there with that ice cream. Be completely satisfied with that ice cream. Correct. It was so, so awesome to eat it. But before, like 13 years ago, <laughs> I would not buy myself ice cream if I, even if I promised. So I see a huge difference already in terms of how I treat myself, even outside, not even, not inside. Inside is like, you can't really see. But from the outside, I already, I feel the big shift. And now this God, <laughs> this God issue, and now you're saying that I have a space. Guess what? We all have to go through that. That's part of the process. That we have magical thinking and the magical thinking about God and afterlife and all of that stuff that's mixed together. It has to do with fear of death. That you see the dogs, they can walk up to a dead dog, a smelly, figure out that it's not worth eating and just walk on off. Mm -hmm. But it never dogs, dawns on the dog's mind that he, next week, may be laying in this same position. Mm -hmm. That he doesn't get. They don't have that kind of ability to, uh, they don't have the wisdom to put two and two together. Humans can, can see one dead body after another after another and get the idea, hey, wait a minute, everybody dies, including mm -hmm. little old me. And we don't like that. Because we are, in fact, we have the instinct to stay alive. That how we do stay alive is because of that survival instinct inside. Mm -hmm. And so thoughts of death go directly against that uh, uh, thought of, of, of uh, death, almost like the ooga horn that is in a submarine when there is a breach and you've got water flowing into the submarine that we feel that we've been punctured. Okay, and so we go, oh, 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 inside danger, 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 because of thoughts of death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we immediately want to plug that hole up and tell ourselves everything is safe. That, and so this is where the job of religion comes in, is the job of salving bad feelings over death and dying that most of what a, uh, a religion is all about is funerals. One funeral after another, after another, after another, because people keep dying. And what's the preacher to say? Well, they were called home to God, right? Trying to make it sound really delicious or whatever like that. Very few preachers are going to do a whole lot of funerals by just saying, hey, man, he's dead. Get over it. <laughs> so bad. That's so, so heartless. <laughs> well, it, but it's the best thing to do. He's dead. How long are you going to grieve before you get over it? Mm -hmm. Some people will grieve for years. Every time the thought of mama comes up, they can't say, oh, I remember mama. She was such a, a cheerful character. No, they think of mom being dead and they say, oh, no, oh, no. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, the basic of all of it, the worst thing that can happen is dying. Mm -hmm. We all have that, okay? And we don't want to be reminded of it. And we want to be reassured that everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. All right? The Buddha's method is completely different than that. He's saying, hey, let's take a look at that fear and recognize that it's based upon a delusion. 
that we're not dying right now. Why do we feel like we're dying? Why do we have to then go into all of this belief system? Okay, so reversing that, now that people are beginning to practice the teaching of the Buddha, maybe they can get themselves relaxed and feel safe enough that they can start to investigate these beliefs. That's exactly what you've done. And now that you're investigating those beliefs, you're beginning to recognize you can do fine without a God. Yeah. I mean, I've been fine without him, her. Yeah, the whole time you've been fine without him. (laughs) But you didn't know that until you started to investigate it. And also, as you do more of investigation of the fact that you're okay without it, that builds that confidence until you can come to the point that, hey, man, I can handle anything, even my own death. I won't laugh in the face of my death. I'll give him a kiss. <laughs> oh, God. That's so much positivity. I can... <laughs> I can burst with this positive. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. If you're no longer afraid of dying, then what is there worthy of being afraid of? Nothing. That's Nothing. the fearlessness, okay? Um, one of the things that I have seen happen, and I've actually practiced this, and on occasion, so I wouldn't recommend it um, with without a group of people doing it. Mm -hmm. But one of the things to do is to take your little pup tent and go uh, park it in an area of the cemetery that is old, where people don't visit it often, and spend the night. (laughs) That's morbid. (laughs) No, it's not. It's, It's not morbid because you're howling with laughter right now. How could it be morbid? Well, I have to to say, I I used to run at the cemetery. I would just go there to run, and I was, like, walking around, like, you know, running around the 19, whatever, 19 uh, tombstones, and Mm -hmm. that was my daily run. (laughs) It was okay. Yeah, the really old ones are also supposedly creepy, you know. When you can get into the area of the cemetery that's more than 100 years old, the the crosses start to lean over, and it gets kind of decrepit, and the uh, gardeners don't do quite so uh, good a job in that part of the cemetery, that's the area to go to, the spooky part. (laughs) And and you could just tell yourself over and over again, hey, these spooks don't mind. They're okay. They're at rest. They've been in the ground for 100 years. They're not about to get up just because I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Actually, there's a sutta about that, that the Buddha himself would go seek out the most haunted places just to test himself. Uh-huh. Okay, but this is kind of an advanced practice, but you can think about that just because you can do it. You don't actually have to take your pup tent to the cemetery. You yeah. can just play the game of. Imagine you're going to take it and you, you're going to be all right. Yeah, you can go spend the night in the cemetery. No big deal. You don't have to whistle your past it. You can be right there in it because it's not dangerous. How about a practice of thinking of yourself dying? Like, is that viable practice or? Is yeah, that- it, it depends upon whether it's healthy 
and wholesome or not. So you can actually have a death scene that's very wholesome. Imagine that your best friends are there to say goodbye. They know that this is your last. They've gathered together there. Everybody's crying in great joy and celebrating your life. And you say, bye, folks. And that's it. Lights out. And off you go. And everybody weeps, but their grief is also joyful. You see, one of the reasons why people grieve a lot is because they didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Granny. She died on They were there in the hospital with her on Sunday. The whole family was there, but everybody was avoiding the fact that Granny's dying right now in front of us. And here there is Granny saying, I'm going to at least stay alive while they're here because I don't want them to have to put up with me croaking. But the next day she's dead. Okay, this is actually the way that the mind works. If they would come in and all get together and know what's going on, Granny, this is the last I'm going to see you. I love you so much. Give me a great big hug. And Granny feels so nice and so warm and so loved. And she's ready to just let go. Mm -hmm. So, right right now I don't feel... You can think of 10,000 ways to die that's unwholesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When everybody is... uh, I I used to have those type of thoughts back in my childhood when when I I was telling my parents, I'm going to show you, I'm going to die, and you're going to be sorry. You know, that type of thing. Uh, well, that, of course. I mean, revenge is sweet for a kid. The only way you can get back at them is by croaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I distinctly remember those moments when I was paying off with my death. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you have planned your own death when you were a kid, then planning your own death now as an adult is not so hard of work because you already know how to do it. So plan well. <laughs> No, I, I um, intentionally think about it. It's it's like a, the Stoic, Stoics, I think. Yeah, Stoics, they practiced um, memento mori. It's Latin for remember death or remember you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And that actually, this brings more joy into the moment because, yeah, you know you're going to die. That's why. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Not only that, but you can add to that in the sense of, yeah, and when I do croak, it's going to be a very happy moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, the highest peace. Finally, I can relax. I don't even have to breathe now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so much work. <laughs> this life yeah, is good. yeah, I mean, being dead is just so less much work. There's just nothing to do, literally. <laughs> That thing's rot. So what? <laughs> oh my god! Wow, that's sinful. <laughs> well, it is if you're supposed to be attached to yeah. life, yeah. which is promoted with that survival instinct. Mm-hmm. But the survival instinct eventually is going to lose the battle. Yeah, right. It's not going to be able to keep you alive. So now wisdom is your better shot. So does wisdom actually play role in my decision making now or am I Absolutely. Still- Absolutely because if you are able to let us say 
do a dress rehearsal of your own death. And when I say dress rehearsal, I'm not talking about actually stabbing yourself in the arm or cutting your wrist or taking the pills or any of that kind of stuff. But dress rehearsal in the mind with the with the idea that when it happens, it's going to be a good happening as opposed and a wholesome happening as opposed to an unwholesome happening, clinging to life, gasping for air, wanting to stay alive, trying to whisper the secrets, the last secrets in somebody's ear. You know, that's a very famous one at the uh, uh, the movies. Just love that this guy's shot and he's there dying. He is really dying, but he either knows who did it or he's got the secret information. And is he going to get the information out before he croaks or not? Right. Why do they do that to people? Go ahead and die, man. We'll figure it out. Don't worry. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. <laughs> oh, it's just dramatic. It's a dramatic moment. <laughs> and they, right, they build this drama into it. And so we hear that drama in the movies and we put that drama into our own life. And so the same thing. This is not supposed to be drama. This is not supposed to be a big deal. This is natural. Everybody does it eventually. The question is, are you going to do it like, uh, how to say, in a noble way? Are you going to do it in a high-class way? Are you going to do it in a gutter way? Yeah. One of the gutter ways is, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> <laughs> As I slip right into it. <laughs> yeah. So, in fact, the wholesome and unwholesome thought for each moment is something to do in preparation for one's death so that you can have wholesome thoughts at that time when you die. Mm-hmm. And when you know that you can have thoughts, no matter how instructed the mind gets, you know that you can clean it out and be here in this present moment, which means that when you're dying, instead of, oh, poor me, let's have a pity party, grandpa's dying, he can tell a joke. The last thing he says is, ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> The question is, is it going to be wholesome or not? This thought, this thought, this thought, because some one of them is going to be your last one. This is such a <laughs> oh, it's just a heartfelt laughter. <laughs> well, death is funny. I mean, why do the comedians, so many of them, die right there on stage? <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, now, okay, coming back to, like, not thinking about death yet. <laughs> well, we can start thinking, but anyway, just like a... So my decision of, say, moving from one place to another. Now... Mm -hmm. And because of that space, now I'm concerned and I'm filling the, the space now. <laughs> I'm actually taking charge of my life. Like, what, what, what is this now? Is this a wisdom? Well, here's the question, though. Can you be satisfied right now in this moment without having to plan to go to America? I go back and forth. 
I know. And when you go back and forth, do you see that swinging door and recognizing that, hey, wait a minute, that swinging door is a lot of work. Why don't I just sit here and just be happy right now? Let America take care of itself. You don't have to make any decisions right now. You haven't bought a ticket yet. No. So just enjoy the moment. You can make that decision later. You don't have to make that decision. You're not in a hurry. There's nothing pressuring you. So just allow yourself to be happy right now. Yeah. Believe me, America is not going to make a Russian lady happy. <laughs> but it's almost like that. Uh, oh, my God. That's like it's this, the same with death. You know, I'm approaching this death point, right? And I'm enjoying it more now because I know it's going to end. Like this, me being here is going to end. That's why I'm enjoying mm-hmm. it more, actually. Um, mm-hmm. But it's in comparison with that move. So it's almost a, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, that's possible. In fact, I know monks who do that, that they, they will enjoy a place all the more knowing that they're about to leave. Yeah. And they that, move from one lot to another and back and forth and, oh, boy, I'm going to be happy when I get out of here. And you can have that mentality also. Exactly what's happening. I'm I'm actually enjoying it more, and I'm allowing myself to enjoy more because I know I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that when you say that you're leaving, that means that the stuff that you're leaving behind is not yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're giving I, up attachments, and that's I, what makes it so pleasurable. Is this stuff not mine anymore? I'm leaving. I'm leaving on a jet plane. I'm out of here. I'm going to leave this mess behind. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not running away. I'm literally leaving. It's I didn't accuse you of running away. That's your own critical thinking there. I'm, I'm being very nurturing about this. Isn't it marvelous that you could just say, Goodbye, all you stuff. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> and I never thought about it this way. I never, it's more, well, yeah, no, it's uh, just another insight, I guess. It's like another way of looking at. Yes, and that's what we do with investigation. That's why I keep turning everything around, is to give you a chance to look at things from many different directions. In a way, that's exactly what will happen when you die anyway, is that you're just kissing it all goodbye. Yeah. Can you exactly. kiss it goodbye? Goodbye, world. See ya. Or goodbye, world. You're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a powerful and relief. It's a huge relief and it's... Uh, Okay, so just sit there and feel relieved. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, let yourself feel that relief because that relief is what we're looking for. That final, oh, wow, what a relief. But then, okay, then guilt comes in that I'm too too relaxed. Like, why? Why do I have to be guilty of being relaxed? And I know it's critical. 
but it's fun to even just to look at it, how, how it all happens in the head. Yes, it does, isn't it? Notice that you're going back and forth between the, the nurturing that I'm talking about versus you're getting critical. Wait a minute, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to enjoy kissing this stuff goodbye. I'm supposed to keep it. Yeah, exactly. It's dangerous to do without it. And here we are looking death in the face, and it, that's not dangerous. Death is not dangerous. If death is not dangerous, then what is? <laughs> and then I have this thirst to know more, like to experience more. Like there's more, more of, uh, I don't want to hold myself in one space longer than I want to. Like there's uh -huh. more, uh, like I can move on. I don't have to be attached. Oh, it's so liberating. <laughs> it's just wonderful. <laughs> For someone who has been in, I think, like 48 of the 50 states, has been in 19 or 20 different countries, has lived for years in places like Saudi Arabia and Australia and Thailand and Burma and all of that, that kind of guy should not be giving advice for people to stay put. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I, I knew you were talking about yourself, but I, yes, and that's exactly what I feel I'm expecting. Oh, like, I know I don't feel, yeah, yeah, like it's expected, was expected. Now I can see that it was expected of me to settle down, to settle in, to, you know, and uh -huh. none of it. I have literally been all over the place. That's why I can settle down, is because I've been there, done that. Exactly. There is no place left in India that I want to go to, because I've been all over India. There's no place in Thailand that I want to go to, because I've been all over Thailand. That's part of the point that, in, in fact, the Buddha makes a point of this, is, is that when he was criticized, he says that uh, when someone reviles me on the account of that, there is no dejection of the heart on that account. Or when I'm revered and praised, there is no elation of the heart due to that. Why? Because I have been there and done that before. I have been praised before and I got over it. I have been rejected and dejected before and criticized before and I got over it. That's basically a part of the path is to experience mm -hmm. and get over it. Yeah. So that if it happens again, like now when I'm thinking about, well, you got to go to Tibet. And the answer to that is, no, I don't have to go to Bhutan. I don't have to go to Tibet. I've been all over the place. I don't need to go someplace new. I've been there, done that. I'm satisfied. That's the point. How much travel is enough? Obvious for you, not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. So go play. Go enjoy. Go see. Yeah, it's so true. It's just, I really want to see the world. <laughs> I guess okay. I never... It's a very interesting place, but normally, if you're not careful, the world is what you create when you get there. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, a yeah. better thing to do is to really experience what's real, what's really there. Uh-huh. As opposed to saying, well, 
this place is dirty, which is one of the favorite things that people say about India. <laughs> Instead of, no, this is just India. Dirt is in your mind. Well, well, I, I go to places. I I tend to go with like, like investigating people, more people than than uh, I guess. Um, I'm not traveling as a tourist to look at things. Uh -huh. It's more well, like isn't that interesting that women like to meet people, and yeah. men like to go to historical places and look at dead people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Well. So anyway, yes, there is enormous value in education. I think that in fact, that's one of the problems with so many people is they don't travel enough at all. So they don't have a clue. People will hear in, let's say in the United States, people will hear about Paris, goods and bads and ups and downs and see photos, et cetera, like that. But they haven't been to Paris. They don't know what it's like there. The same thing is about India. It's almost like that every place has a different feeling, a different smell, mm -hmm. a, a, a different ambiance. And that when we're really paying attention to where we are and what we're doing, we get to marvel about the variety of things that are available. But normally we compare the place that we're in now with the place that we used to be. And by that comparison, we begin to say, well, I don't like this because I remember liking that. Mm -hmm. We do that with food, especially unfamiliar food. I've seen it in myself that when I take the first bite of this food, it's weird. But by the time that I'm two thirds into it, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Because we're open to the experience of it, mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to go someplace and then try to make that place what we know. Oh, yeah. Instead yeah. of actually experiencing something new. Because why? Because something new brings up that doubt, the unknown, the unfamiliar. This may be dangerous. Yeah. So you got to get your um, uh, your friendship genes going because it's probably not dangerous. It's just strange. Strange is not dangerous, but we generally have the idea that strangers are dangerous people. Where in fact, no, they're just strange. That in fact, that strangeness that is in strangers, when we suc succumb to that instinctually, is called racism and tribalism. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To where the people of India, many of them that I know, are just as smart or smarter than I am. There's some people that are brilliant in India, but for some reason, Westerners look down on India because we don't like their social system, or that we don't like their caste, or we don't like the poverty, or whatever like that. And um, like uh, at one time, un universities in India were highly looked down on, especially like Cambridge and Oxford. Oh, we're big stuff dudes, but that University of Calcutta is nothing. You know, that's the kind of mentality that mm -hmm. people have. Not recognizing that the University of Calcutta has a history department that is better at Indian history than Oxford is with British history. <laughs> 
But because Britain don't know about being Indian history, they don't have a clue of how detailed of knowledge they have of every king and everything that happened all over the place. But if you're in the Indian University in the history department, you're probably also the um, Indians have very good medical uh, universities. They're very good. But worldwide, Indian universities are at the bottom of the whatever ladders that people have when they're thinking of foreigners or otherness or whatever like that. And so this is a danger that I would warn you about when you're traveling is don't be judgmental by comparing the people you're with with people that you've seen before. Let these new people be brand new, investigative. Yeah. And I, 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 I uh, encourage people to travel, to go see the world, to find out that there's many, many different ways of looking at things. But also remember that you're still in charge of your feelings, that you don't have to feel bad just because something happened. Mm-hmm. That in fact, if we can get kind of back on, on track uh, of talking about doubt, there is a third level of doubt. Mm, yeah. That third level of doubt is even though we know with confidence that we can do it, we don't necessarily have the right tools to do it. That, that in fact, is where, where I am right now with the computers that I play with and whatnot like that is I don't have the tools that I used to have. But here, the tools that we're talking about is the Dhamma itself. When we begin to see that this tool or this set of tools of right view, right effort, right sati, right attitude works. It works and it works and it works every time. And when we put that to work and put it to use, it gives the good desired results every time. And that's the third level of doubt. And that's when we get kind of really gung-ho on the Dhamma, when we get very enthusiastic about applying that Dhamma to every minute. Yeah, there it is again. <laughs> I see it. So uh, it builds enthusiasm. When we finish with that doubt, that, that, that removal of all of those doubts is extraordinarily liberating. Yeah, yeah. But... We don't have to know everything. We only need to know enough. And that enough is a handful of leaves, just a small amount that all we have to do is just to keep track of just a few things. And when we see that, and we say that, oh, well, all I have to do is just these few things, and I understand that, and I know that I can do them, and I'm not going to get any help from anybody else, that's the eradication of those three doubts. Mm -hmm. But it takes practice over and over and over again with success over and over and over again until you begin to feel like a lion. The right attitude is, and you've probably heard me say this before, but the Buddha was a lion. Mm -hmm. Another word was he was a bull. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, nobody messed with the Buddha. That whatever assembly he was in, he was in charge of that assembly. And, and everybody paid that kind of respect to him because he deserved it. 
He was the bully. He was, but all of that is just attitude, not the attitude of a bully, mm-hmm. but the attitude of quiet strength. I've got this. That's that Sama Sankapa, is that it doesn't matter what goes down. Even while I'm opening the lid of a coffin that we know has a vampire in it, I can handle this. (laughs) (laughs) That's the attitude of a Buddha, that we can handle anything take care of anything so we can practice going in that direction uh-huh especially mm-hmm. you can handle your own unwholesome thoughts i can handle this i can handle this yeah i was handling rain yesterday it was raining it was pouring and instead i had my my music in my ears and i was walking my wet feet through all the floating floating rivers on the road and I was happy as a clam. Yeah. yeah. Right. And to think you could have been miserable instead. Oh, yeah. Most. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just so miserable. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that we now you're seeing that, in fact, all your misery is self-generated. Mm-hmm. That you can dance and sing in the rain. Mm-hmm. But if you want help and need help, now you're back to being a victim again. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could enjoy this rain if I only had an umbrella. Oh, please, Mr. God in the sky, can you see me? I need an umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) So then it goes down to nobody will help you but you yourself. And then the surrounding of you of good like good wholesome people also matters that's why sangha is a big part yes, of yes exactly uh-huh well i keep missing because you can see them if they can handle it so can you yeah if they've got the right attitude that rubs off on you you can have the right attitude too that's why sangha is useful but it's still up to each person in that sangha to clean up their own mind but we get help by, but not necessarily direct help, mm-hmm. just uh, uh, ambiance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The right mood. Yeah, this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, all we have to do is to just relax. That's just remember, just okay. You don't have to go to the United States to be relaxed. Mm-hmm. But I'm not about to say don't go travel, that you're all okay and you don't have to go anywhere. You can just sit there and relax. That's true. But it's also, there's a big, by wonderful world out there. Take your joy, spread it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. it's- Really, it feels amazing. It feels liberating. (laughs) Free at last, free at last. There is no God Almighty. Free at last. I could do it myself. Yeah. Well, lovely. 
Well, let's finish up now. This has been a delightful conversation. I very much enjoyed this. This is great. I especially like it when I see you get those insights. Ha, you get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep watching your interviews with other people, so I get more. I feel like I'm connected with you all the time anyway. So. Right. That's what we that remember back to that point about at one moment or uh, make me one with everything. Yeah, I'll use Damarato as a thought to connect with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very helpful. It's very helpful. Like a point of reference to what would Damarato do? <laughs> you know, what would... <laughs> he wouldn't do anything. He'd just sit there and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Anna, uh, this has been really great. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Tamarada. Yes, I'll see you next day. Thanks. Have a good day there. You too. You thank enjoy you. the moment. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye.